can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. There we go. Yeah, but in-studio guest and how come this has got all this microwave stuff this like so back? not only do we have an in-studio guest better. dr joe but folks for those of you who know dr joe he he gets lukewarm for some guests excited for others <gasps> never say that i'm all, kidding all he always gets excited hear that. yes i do i get excited but there is one guest funny. yes We've had him on in the telephone, That's but right. to have him in studio, Joe hasn't slept in two it's, nights. It's true. Three nights, maybe. It's true. It's the true. The one. The one and only. Only. Ready? Christopher, Christopher Sarson. Sarson. Welcome, Christopher Sarson. Can we get a big, can we get a big hooray, 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 hooray. Oh, Christopher, so great having you here. It's nice to be here. So, well, there we are. And you are going to be had so much here because show's over. Bye. Thanks, Joe. Short show. So let me thank you. Short show. Short show. So let me just explain uh, who Christopher Sarson is. Christopher Sarson is the how many three Emmy awards? Three. Three Emmy award. Emmy. 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 <laughs> Emmy Emmy awards. Not Emmy. Emmy. Uh, right. Right. Well, we can talk about the I M E. The I M E. That's good. Yeah, I like that. You, there you should like be. That? You know what? There should be I M. There should awards. be. I, there should be I M awards. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Anyway, three Emmy awards. Okay. Uh, Zoom. Masterpiece Theater. Christopher Sarson is the creator of Zoom. It was his idea, and we got to talk about that. Mm. Masterpiece Theater brought it over or created it. Created. Created. Created Masterpiece Theater. So I need to ask him a question. You go right ahead. All right. So for the listeners, we all know that Dr. Joe was Joe on Zoom. It's true. What was he like? Joe. He had a different hairstyle from yes. the one he's got now. <laughs> yes. It was fuzzy, it was dark, and he was a mischief maker like he is now. <laughs> he was a mischief <laughs> and, uh, maker. Yeah. He was an inventor, and he was quite cute as a kid. Yeah. Quite yeah. good. Oh, thank what you. Were he's you? cute still. 12? When's the last time you were actually in a studio? Mm, I don't have a good memory. Um, you know, years you... ago? I don't know. Oh, a long wow. time ago. But so, isn't this wonderful? <laughs> yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah, so so thanks for asking that, Mark. Uh, yeah, we'll, I had, we'll, we'll get a little deeper had, on it. I had so much fun on Zoom, though. It, it was really... Groundbreaking stuff. The Zoom itself was groundbreaking. Yeah. It was... Well, you want to describe it and how, how you got the idea for Zoom? We'll go well, to that. I was a father. I had a six-year-old... How old were you? You were 12. I was 12. Um, so I probably 12, had a... 12, 13. I probably had a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. And um, they were watching what every other kid was watching, which was the Partridge Family and the uh, those kind of happy family shows. They weren't real. Mm. They were terribly unreal. So true. And uh, I watched. I watched both our kids go into a room full of kids, and they wanted to be friends. Yeah. And when you want to be friends, you don't want to be mocked. You don't want to be. But it was a tentative sort of. Uh, uh, meeting for them and uh, I was very impressed with the way that 
they assembled with the group and they made friends in the group and that kind of thing. And I thought to put something like that on the air would be kind of fun. Mm. So we scoured, we were working at WGBH and we scoured the um, neighborhood for kids uh, who were articulate and who had a thought process. And uh, not every kid aged 10 has a thought process developed yet. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, were, we, we did auditions for the second year. And for the second year, uh, all the kids came in. We auditioned a 1,000 kids for the second year. They all knew exactly who they wanted to replace. That's true, because Zoom, the, the first season, there was no Zoom. There was no Zoom, and we went around the schools and found seven kids and put them on the air. There were auditions for those, too, well, for the yes, first season. But Were you uh, on the first season? I was the, was, I was, I was was the, the first. first <laughs> I'm the first Zoom kid. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm the first Zoom kid that gets introduced. So when they, when you do the Zoom song, I'm Joe. That's right. I'm Joe, the first one. It's very cool. Great honor. <coughs> we auditioned the kids, yep. and we found the first seven, and there was no problem. For the second year, we had a thousand applicants. We had a thousand wow. kids wow. who uh, called on the phone. I'm someone who can't say no. In when they say can we audition so we got them in in groups of 15 and in terms of finding out whether they had creativity or not we threw a ball we got them in a circle of 15 kids and we threw a ball from one to the other to the other to the other and I threw the ball to Mark uh, and said Mark and he took the ball and threw it to Joe who said I'm Joe who threw it to Chris. Once I got the ball or once one of the staff got the ball, we'd put it down and we'd shrink the imaginary ball into this tiny little uh, thing and we'd flick it to Joe. And Joe had a choice. He could either sort of flick it to Mark or he could um, just kind of get embarrassed or he could do what we were looking for, which is to take this little ball and enlarge it to a huge ball and kick it to Mark. And that was the kind of creativity, that was the kind of imagination mm -hmm. that we were looking for uh, uh, in the kids. And the difficulty was out of these 15 to select. We allowed ourselves to select not more than one of these kids. And if you divide a 1,000 by 15... Uh, and only pick one, you still have a hundred kids and you've got to do right. and all this. And we ended up with a couple of dozen kids, any of whom could have been on the show. Yeah. And we had to select uh, half of them. But it was the creativity and it was the imagination that we were looking for. And Joe still has it, don't oh. you? Oh, yeah, he does. Thank you. We got $60 a week in 1972, That's which actually money. was a lot of money. I, and I went and bought baseball cards and comic books and I still have them. I kept my base, but my mother wanted to throw them out. But and let me, tell, let me tell you another thing about the money that really moved me. We had a reunion about ten years ago, yep. five years ago, and one of the Zoomers said, something you don't know is that I lived in Dorchester and I had two elder brothers and they were out of work. And my mother was supporting us with uh, food stamps and that was about all. And my elder brothers revered me because I was bringing in $60, uh, which was keeping the family going yeah. during that time. That, I was so moved. That was it. Leon. Yeah. Leon Mobley, who right. is now the percussionist for the Ben, ben Harper. Harper. Yeah. yeah. For me, Zoom came at an incredibly important time in my life. And I was honored enough in, what was it, 2012, right? We had our 40th oh, yes, reunion. Right, right. Uh, right, right here in Marshfield. Right. 
and and I think we had maybe 18 of the 21 the kids yeah, show up. Yeah, something like which that. Which is pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, just think about that. 40 years later. Keith comes in touch. Yeah, that is amazing. Yeah. So, so how cool. did you get to WGBH and creating Zoom? Where did how, well, what, I, what got you there? I uh, came with my first wife from England in 1963, and um, they assigned me. I met uh, a producer in WGBH who said, we've got a job for you. And I said, great, I love Boston. He said, it's in Washington. And so I went to Washington uh, in time for the Kennedy funeral, Martin oh, Luther gosh. King funeral. It was a traumatic year there. And I have still got the image in my head of going into a hotel not more than 50 yards from the White House and going to the toilet and seeing coloreds and whites wow. as the entrance. 1960, I mean, it's... Wow. Unbelievable. Anyway, uh, that was Washington, D.C. Then the following year, I came to Boston and worked in uh, schools television, making 21-inch classroom, it was called, and uh, worked with them. And my kids were born during that time. And um, uh, then Zoom happened, uh, as I told you, because of uh, watching them go and, and, uh, and meet friends. And um, then it just kind of evolved. Interestingly enough, uh, and this isn't very interesting, actually, uh, I gave the idea to uh, public television, and I've still got the letter from the general manager. The program manager forwarded my proposal to the general manager who sent it back to the program manager with, don't think much of this. Uh, don't we have something more imaginative instead? Um, and the program manager forwarded it back to me. Um, but luckily, there was another show called The Advocates, which got money from CPB, and they had 30000 bucks left over from their annual budget. And the program manager said to CPB, could we please use that for a new children's show, in, for a pilot for a new children's show, uh, instead of sending it back to you? And P CPB said yes, and that's how Zoom got funded the mm. first uh, season with cardboard cutouts, that's cardboard right. letter that's cutouts. Right. That's right. And a very simple set. Very simple, low budget, and yet there was something magic and dynamic about it because it, there was. it oh, was because yeah. these were real. I mean, we were real kids. We were not, and still are not, professional actors. And it was the first, I think, the first fully racially integrated show. Well, right? it was actually that, and it was the first show that didn't have Uncle Bob, or you remember Rex Trailer, yeah. didn't have Rex with or, it. Or Captain it, Kangaroo. No adults. Or, on the show. It was the first show that the children had done themselves. Yeah. And that was a deep belief of mine that if you, and it came from my children, uh, that if you give kids something to do and they're reasonably intelligent um you know they'll do it they enjoy the challenge of uh, of meeting what what's expected of them yeah. and that's exactly how zoom didn't have scripts it had ideas we had a zoom rap where people where the kids well um that's where the, the big how this first zoom rap really yeah, started right. with right. go on Shall I tell yeah, them the please, real story? Yes. Well, not the real story. <laughs> yes, the real. We want the <laughs> real story. Is this the is truth a, this and is only a the myth. Truth. It's still a myth. Go on. Go on. Well, <laughs> it's not a mistake. This is, uh, this is, the, oh, this is the truth. The um, there was a moment where one of the Zoomers, he was the first Zoom, Zoomer, I think his name was Joe, <laughs> um, 
and all the kids were rushing around and uh, Tracy, one of the other kids, just happened to be pushed off uh, a small riser and she ended up on the floor and she went to hospital and everyone was traumatic this was we hadn't even taped a show yet this, this was this was during the first taping yeah. of our first uh show big show yeah because the at, at the at the and well, you at, pushed her off the stage no i didn't push her off the stage <laughs> so no, tracy if you're you listening stage if, but i had just ended up right i had to get with somewhere. joe's hands so at, <laughs> joe the, leaning over. <laughs> at the end of each show we did a big musical number that was choreographed by Billy Wilson and the music was written by this guy Newt Wayland and we had this big set and it was all these risers and I had to get from one place to another and Tracy I think had to go in the other direction and she was in the way right so you had to step on her on the way up the well yeah. The well, you know line. Joe better than I do now. So you, <laughs> you know this is writing character. But anyway, so anyway, as a so result, Tracy went to hospital, yeah. and the kids were devastated. Yeah. I mean, you know, this was just awful. Yes. And the tone of the of the joy in the studio went down way below this oh, table yeah. level. And so we sat him down and said, "Talk about hospitals." And this wonderful, everybody had stories about how they'd gone to hospital or how they hadn't and all and that kind of thing. just an innocent, authentic that's, kids story. That's exactly yeah. right. And it was authentic kids who were telling their stories. And you could see as an adult, you can see, I'm sort of putting on a bit of an air yeah. here. But the kids responded as kids. Right. And it was very, very meaningful. And that went on as a regular... Um, feature and talked about school, talked Schools, about love, talked about yeah. all kinds of things. Yeah, romance. It was very. It's very called touchy. a Zoom wrap. Zoom wrap. So that was a, a, a bit it, within the show. Yeah, right. it became. And there was another bit about. was uh, which was a production number, which, as Joe said, was done by the choreographer and the musician. And the choreographer was so good with children because he would put the seven of them in a box, not in a box, in positions there. And he'd say, I want you to remember those positions, come over here, and he'd put them in another position. He said, you've got eight bars of the music to go from there to there in whatever style you like. So the kids were being themselves yeah. when they went from there to there. Right. They weren't being choreographed. Yeah. And that was the same in the show. They weren't being choreographed. Yeah. It was just... Yeah. And we had a crazy language called Abby Dubby that uh, four of us... Oh, it's in Wikipedia, by the way. Yabes? Yabes. Wabahow. Kaben, any aben abid body. Yabes, kaben yabu? And you still both remember this. Yabes, wabi dabo. And it was very interesting in... When I was in... Where was I? I was in Auckland. No, I wasn't. I must have been in Boston. And it was Colorado. Maybe you were in Colorado? Maybe it was in Boulder. Maybe, yeah. But I was in a hotel having a business meeting, and one of the people who was at the meeting knew I'd done Zoom and said, this is Christopher Sarson of Zoom. And the two people that I was meeting immediately began, we're going to Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, fine, you know. So we got over that, and we started our business meeting. 20 minutes later, someone from another table who was leaving came over and said, excuse me, but were you singing the Zoom song? He yeah, said, yeah. I love, you know, it's it's sort of infiltrated kids' yeah. lives. No, sure. Wasn't there another Ubby Dubby story that you told me about? You overheard some people. Oh, gosh. This was in Colorado. And okay. this, was, um, this was all the... Um, uh, people in top hats and uh, boots and belts and 
all the kind of paraphernalia of uh, the cattle ranch and there were ten of us and there were four groups of parents and there were these two children who belonged to one of the couples, one of the parents and um, we were talking, we were all over 65, we were talking about uh, uh, you know the weather and we were talking about cattle escaping and all these kind of interesting things to these uh, kiddos and the kiddos were about 30 and um, halfway through the meal they looked at each other and uh, one of them said to the other in Abu Dhabi aren't we sitting with a lot of boring people can you imagine their faces when I said in Abu Dhabi yeah best uh, yes I agree with you and of course they blushed and we had an interesting couple of minutes afterwards Great. That was yeah, it, it was so, amazing. Pivotal. Gone. So what brought you to the United States? Clearly your accent is not uh, native Boston. It's not? No. I nope. thought I'd I thought I'd mastered <laughs> it by now. I tried so hard. Yeah, I mean in sixty three when you came over, how why did you go over to WGBH at all? What were you doing before and where did where were you coming from? Well, I was born at an early age. Oh good. Do you want, do you want me to <laughs> Do you want me to start there? No, no please. Yes. No, I had I had an interesting childhood because uh, I was brought up by guess what? Typically English parents. Yeah. And typically English parents have rules, and you obey the rules, or they, you know, just make sure you do, and that kind of thing. My mother's favourite remark, which I will never ever forget, was. You wait till your father comes home, oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. And very often, uh, I was sent up to my bedroom, and he took out the strap and gave, well, it was a cane actually, mm. and uh, gave me six uh, on my rear end, and um, that was how I was brought up. And uh, um, I don't blame them for it; they were being good English parents, and that's what you did in order to get uh, the great English uh, uh, group of idiots together mm. and um, uh, I went to Manchester and um, to start television I was uh, the music director of a, f a group called the Footlights and I'd written a musical and uh, someone from the Times came and gave it a review and uh, someone from Granada Television in Manchester uh, was interested enough to offer me a job I already had a job when I left school of uh, music director of the um, Old Vic. Wow. And uh, that was paying £25 a week. Television offered me £35 a week, and <laughs> always the opportunist, <laughs> I went into television. And so I'd been a television uh, uh, director there. We actually, sidetrack, we went to Liverpool uh, to film uh, a group of singers. And after we'd filmed them and they were lovely and that kind of thing, we went to this pub and uh, there was another group there and we said, can we film you? And they said, yes, that second group was the Beatles. And if you, <laughs> be, before Ringo Starr, before Ringo Starr got uh, on the show, and um, it was uh, the, the black and white scratchy footage that you sometimes see is the footage that we shot. Uh, really? Anyway. That's so uh, that was, cool. <laughs> I didn't know that story. That's that amazing. Didn't you? No. That was... Um, that was Manchester, and I met my wife, who was the first um, female reporter on The Guardian in 1963. How about that? First female reporter. And a friend of ours who was an actor uh, who introduced us to each other um, uh, said that uh, you guys should get together, so we got together, and uh, we decided to uh, uh, go to America on our honeymoon. 
and the seasickness, we went by boat, turned out to be morning sickness. Mm-hmm. And um, she had the baby and we bought a house and we never went back to England. Ah. So that's how we, And because I was in television, I had lots of letters of introduction and one of them was to the Ford Foundation. And I went to the Ford Foundation just as a secretary had put the phone down to an English television producer who was supposed to be talking next week to a big group in uh, Michigan about British television. And the producer on the phone had said, I'm sorry, I can't come. And here comes this other producer in and says, you got anything for me? <laughs> so they flew me out to uh, Michigan. It works that yeah. way sometimes. Small changes yeah. can have big effects. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's right? reminiscent. Isn't yes, that? indeed. It is. So I want to go even further back. Okay. So you talked a little bit about growing up right. in England. But if, if you were coming to the States in 63, you had grown up in England. I was in, 28 years old. Right, so World War Two. World War Two. I was five when World War Two broke out. Yeah, and I already said my parents were very traditional parents. So of course you kept your children away from uh, um, anything nasty like a world war, and, uh, <laughs> especially if it involved England. Especially right? if it involved England. And I knew nothing about um, that except that if the Germans landed in... We lived we lived in South London with a huge plain, uh, a grass plain where Epsom Downs is, where they uh, run the Derby um, uh, horse race and that kind of thing, full of trees, full of wonderful trees. They cut down every single one of those trees in case the Germans landed so that the efforts... So that the... Um, what the soldiers and then... No, it wasn't soldiers. It was the ARP, the... Um, Some sort of rifle protection. Guard or, okay. No, it was yeah. it was civilians. Civilians, who were, okay. Who were uh, um, uh, a sort of civilian army uh, could go and shoot them, so it could go and get them down. And uh, um, the uh, the thing that I knew was going to happen because my parents told me was that if the Germans landed, the church bells would ring. And the plan was for church bells to ring in the south and then it would go farther north and the other churches would sort of ring the bell. And uh, in 1945, when the war was ending, I was 10 years old, I was lying in bed. My parents had told me nothing about anything. I was lying in bed and guess what? It was pretty late at night. The church bells began ringing. Hmm. And I was petrified. And, of course, it was because... England have won the war, right. and now the rules have changed. Right. But the parents had forgotten to tell me. So, <laughs> you know, it was that kind of uh, protection that I was uh, yeah. brought up in. So what was that like? Uh, you know, I'm not sure what, what memories do you have back from World War II? I shouldn't admit this, but I learned cunning. Cunning? Ah. I learned how to avoid these things I didn't like yeah. and work around them. I was a lousy student and uh, we had 28, between 28 and 30 people in all the classes and we get these printed, uh, not printed, these handwritten reports. Each teacher had written a thing about what they thought about you and there was a number in a column where you'd come in the class. Really? 25th, 28th. These were my grades. And, uh, Joe, this isn't funny. Sorry, yeah, it is. 
<laughs> Thank you, Mark. Okay. <laughs> but it's a common theme with really successful entrepreneurs, it is. right? That's that that's school the whole and the structure of it is just not that's right. suited for because that. Because it, it, it locks you creative yeah. process yeah. into something that basically stagnates. Yeah, but most people don't do what I did, which was to intercept the report nice. when it came back, open it. And for the first report, I had to tear a short a little strip off the top of it and see if the ink eradicator made any mark <laughs> on the paper. And when I found out that it didn't, I knocked the two out of most nice. of these reports. So I became fifth, seventh, <laughs> ninth, that kind of thing. No, this isn't funny. Sorry. Sorry. And then, luckily, the school... Oh, God, I haven't talked about this in a long time. Uh, the school was about 15 uh, miles away. So after I doctored the report, I would get on my bicycle and go to school and post the um, report again so that it had the right postmark on when it came into oh, the house. Wow. Right? That's cunning. Now that's wow. really right? thinking ahead. Oh, man. I think the teachers should give them a higher mark just for the <laughs> exactly. you know, I mean, that's creativity. In the, 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 yeah, but there wasn't, a, there wasn't a class in cunning. No. Well, the, but the otherwise prefrontal I cortex it. is going wild there, thinking <laughs> ahead, you know, because otherwise I'm going to get caned. Yeah. So absolutely. Six of them. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. On the buttocks. And, and the then buttocks. it got worse, the cunning. <clears throat> How is that? Because I went to boarding school. Ah, in and, England. In England. And never mind the social aspect of the boarding school, I happened to really enjoy rowing. Okay. As opposed to soccer, or it was rugby actually, rugby and uh, cricket. So I would excuse myself from rugby and cricket by saying that I was having braces on my teeth which needed two appointments a week on Wednesday afternoon and Saturday afternoon in London. And I didn't have any money to go to London. So they had a scheme in uh, Britain in the rails. In, I can't stand it. Um, <laughs> they had a scheme in the old days whereby you could buy platform tickets. You bought a platform ticket for a penny, which allowed you to say goodbye to your friends and then go out. So I bought one for Victoria Station. When I got on at Tulse Hill, I had already my platform ticket from Tulse Hill. I got to uh, uh, Victoria and gave them the platform ticket from last week, uh, which had cost me a penny, and that's how I did the journey, there and back, every week. And that's when I started going to plays and going to the movies and that kind of thing in London. That's fantastic. Cunning. That is cunning and... Naughty. A little bit. <laughs> How many years ago is it now? Like 30? It's, no, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm 84. It's, uh, it's 70 years ago. Yeah. How many kids are listening to this show? Yeah, a lot. A lot. We've yeah. got, we got a lot. We're somewhere between 1 and 2 million yeah. I shouldn't uh, put ideas yeah. into their heads. Yeah, no, yeah. that's fine. That's okay. Cause, cause but let me give know. you my phone number while they're right. <laughs> um, the other The other story I, I really would like you to tell uh, which I also had not heard until recently, is the story about um, there was you know the bombing and and the the sirens everything and and trying to get out of London. Didn't oh, your family gosh. try to get you out? Well, the family didn't. The government said that uh, families should get out of uh, they should be evacuated. That right. was that was the term. In London, we'd been working around bombed out sites and that kind of thing. There's a lovely film called Hope and Glory, and um, it shows two kids 
gang, two gangs of kids who are kind of rivals, and they're playing with all the shrapnel and they're playing we're in the ruins of houses that have just been bombed. And they're even playing with unexploded bombs because, you know, you'd see these unexploded bombs as a six-year-old, you had the faintest idea what it was. And the, one of the highlights of this film, believe it or not, is when the leader of one gang gets uh, is caught by the other gang and tied to a chair and a bullet is wedged in uh, a vice which is put at the back of his head and the leader of the other gang has a hammer and a nail and he's going to um, hit the nail into the bullet which is going to go into the head of the other gang leader if the gang leader doesn't confess or do whatever it was. It's just one one of the highlights of the film. And it's not too far from what we were doing in London. But anyway, the government decided we should be evacuated. So we went to Liverpool to catch the boat to Canada. And when we arrived, um, the papers hadn't come through. And so the boat sailed without us. And it was the first um, Red Cross ship uh, that was torpedoed off the coast of Ireland. Oh, wow. And 400 kids lost their lives oh. and 100 adults. Wow. And the papers had come through by then, and my father tore them up and said, you're not going to Canada. And instead we went to Wales and went on a farm. So here's this kid from the centre of London right. suddenly in farmland and I mean it was such a change and <laughs> you had to milk a cow yeah. and you had to make a noose of wire and carefully find the rabbit run and put the noose and the stick there so that the rabbit would come and <laughs> catch his yeah. throat and then you had to be taught how to kill a rabbit you pick it up by the hand legs you chop it on the neck you cut the inside of the legs break sorry (laughs) and then skin the rabbit that's how you skin a rabbit and then you take the gut out and then you go and eat it so i mean these things had profound effects Uh, well remember when we did it on zoom yeah no 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 it it was one of the uh you know you you get these zoom cards like so we can do, do something yeah um, no, we. I think we edited that one out, didn't we? I think we, I think did. we, we did. did. You didn't. You mentioned Zoom cards. Yeah. We didn't. Uh, we haven't spoken. Uh, no. It was cards. really like Zoom cards. cards. Yep. The first, we asked on the first show for input from the audience, and uh, the show aired on a Sunday. We didn't get anything on the Monday because obviously right. there was no post on Sunday, but on Tuesday we got about I don't know seventy letters. On Wednesday, we got about 700. Wow. On Thursday, we got 2,000. Wow. (laughs) And that 2,000 stayed at a daily rate of 2,000 until I left the show anyway, uh, after three years. Except for one week where CPB said we weren't going to be funded again for next year. And when they said that, we got one of the Zoomers, Maura. Maura. Who had one of the most mournful faces you've ever seen. I mean, she's a lovely woman. Lovely. We're in touch. Terrific, Maura. Maura, remember this is when you were 10. that's right. She had such a mournful face, and she went on uh, camera and she said, CPB isn't going to fund us next year. If you care about this, please send us your picture, and we'll take it to Washington and show them that you really care. And that was enough to get 30,000 lessons wow. um, uh, during the next week. And uh, 
uh, we put all the pictures on a huge wad of uh, um, uh, wallpaper and took it down to Washington and unrolled it on the CPB floor so that the executives, as they came out, had to step on these pictures uh, to <laughs> walk down the corridor to uh, anywhere. Interesting. But, uh, Pretty brilliant. But anyway, the point of the Zoom cards was that when they sent a missive of any kind into uh, Zoom, they got a reply. That was really oh, important really? to me. Yeah. And at first it was a reply that we paid for. Then we got them to send a SESI, a stamped address uh, yeah, envelope. Self-addressed stamped envelope. So, That's yeah, it. Right. Yep. Um, uh, so that uh, we didn't have to pay the postage. And how do you deal with 2,000 letters a day? <laughs> Helen Hires. Fox to the rescue. Helen Fox was a wonderful old woman who got us um, booths, 40 booths. And she got volunteers to sit in these booths for two hours and answer the letters and make sure that the kids got, uh, got the Zoom card. And they so did that just about it wasn't just a canned response, it was specific to what the kids Well, asked. we had a group of cards. We had about 50 cards right. uh, which talked about what had been on on the show. Abby yeah. Dubby was yeah. one of the things. Right. And we never told the kids how to speak Abby Dubby, but when they said, how do you speak Abby Dubby, we'd send them the Abby Dubby card which had the rules of Abby Dubby on it. We didn't tell them how to say it. Right. They had to work right. it out. And every week we, we would have a Zoom guest who would do something. Um, so we had you know, a person who would make a raft and we had people making all sorts of tops and things and those became part of the Zoom card as well that you could you know, get um, one of the things you could do. But the Zoom card was so successful that I think... Ultimately, it might have led at least to the demise of Zoom because I don't even know if we can do re repeats now because it says, you know, every every show you've got a couple of times saying, you know, write to Zoom and here's the address <laughs> yeah, and here's right. what you do and there's going to be right. nobody to answer it. You know, part of the I am, you control no one, you influence everyone, you get to choose the kind of influence yeah. you want to be. And I just want to say public on the air that, Christopher, you have been one of the most powerful influences <laughs> in my life ever. Thank you. No, I'm really. I'm humbled. But but it is true. Uh, the small change of going to an audition, my friend took me to an audition, that small change of being selected um, has had this huge influence on my life. But, but what you taught me, Christopher, is really one of the roots of the I Am. And this was back in 1972. In 1982... I developed the I am. It was the first time. Oh, is that right? Yep, 19, 10 years later. But what it was about was respect. That's the part that Zoom, I think, was so powerful. And I think that's why it has become iconic. And that's why it was so powerful at a time in the United States where there was little respect. There was a real conflict mm. in the races and in the government and in trying to figure out who we were as a country. And then there's Zoom. These kids, white kids, African-American kids, Asian kids, Hispanic kids, all kids, all colors. Boys, girls. That's right. Playing together. Mm. <laughs> we were very lucky, though, to be able to um, have... I don't really want to use the word control, but you were very... You were, we had to be 
with seven rowdy kids. Oh. Julia Childs was in the next studio. Right. <laughs> That's right. Doing her stuff. And those kids would get, she had a, a cooking <laughs> table that was slightly higher than most, high enough that these kids could get <laughs> under the table and <laughs> sort of hand her a sieve <laughs> if she needed it. So, I mean, what I was going to say was That's that if you funny. have seven rowdy kids in the studio or seven intelligent and brilliant kids in the studio, um, you have to have an order, you have to have a discipline right. and you have to make sure that the kids do that because one of them goes over, then everybody's waiting and they'll all go over right. and, and young Joe here yeah. was naughty. Did he get the cane? He didn't get I the didn't cane. because. We we had social service was, at that point. There, was rules. there, was <laughs> but it was, there were too. rules. But it was after the dress rehearsal mm -hmm. and we were all ready to tape the show. And um, he did something naughty and I looked him in the eye and said, Joe, you do that again and I'm going to have to send you to the Zoom room and you won't be on the show. Now, we'd rehearsed the whole show and there were seven kids and you couldn't possibly do it with six kids and it was going to be all chaos if if uh, I and did Joe what I that. said. And Joe knew that, yeah. so he did it again. I said, Joe, go to the Zoom room. The cameramen looked at me. We've rehearsed all these moves and we're going to have to re-rehearse. The cast looked at me and said, you can't send him to the... He went to the Zoom room. I did. And that was yes. part of the tone of... Uh, you know, that's what yeah, you call yeah. showing respect. I'm not sure I no, use you, it like you, that. You did the right thing. I was clearly not as cunning as you. <laughs> uh, and that was really, in retrospect, if only I had known to be more cunning. No, but, but you know, I was um, 12, 13 years old, and my prefrontal cortex was not fully developed, and I really was impulsive and limbic, but having a great time. And I, I was laughing and doing things and being disruptive. Mm. And you know what? That was my I am, but there was a consequence for it, and I I learned. You know, it wasn't I wasn't I never I was never afraid. No, but I learned. You know what? We have a job here too, mm. and I've got a bunch of people that I am influencing, and that I am also responsible for. And that if we don't work together as a team, we don't get things done. And it was a huge lesson for me, in in you know knowing how to manage people, how to be a team, what your role is, but also what Zoom was, was you weren't stuck in a role. You were asked and encouraged to be creative. And what was really, for me, again, respect, it led to value. Mm. And that really resonated with me, to, to feel so valued by other people, uh, which allowed us all to trust, which allowed us to be creative on set, and allowed us to walk down a street where, you know, if we're getting 2,000 letters a day from all over the country, at least a lot of them were coming from Boston. Oh, right? yes, yes. So we were known entities. We were visible. We were recognized. Mm -hmm. And people would come up and ask for autographs. And that's where my mother came in who taught me to always respect those people. Yeah, right. And what, what courage does it take to come up to someone and ask for an right. autograph? And that absolutely also resonated with me, that, that people are amazing. Uh, and to have that honor of having been part of Zoom, you know, I mean, I, I, I get choked up just thinking about it, because who knew? Who knew that four decades plus later we'd still be resonating with people mm. 
and that I'd still have the opportunity of, of talking with really my mentor. Yeah. Right one here. Of them. One of them. One of them. One of them. Yeah. But 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 major major player. Um, and yes, it absolutely influenced the foundation of the I am, which is that respect leads to value and value leads to trust. And rather than judge other people as less than and broken, let's look again at why you're doing what you're doing and, and embrace that and wonder about it and realize that people are amazing. You know, we, we've spoken about it before. We may come from different home and social domains, but we all want the same thing. We just want to feel valued by somebody else. And that's what Zoom gave to me at a time in my life where, you know, full disclosure, where my parents were getting divorced, life was chaotic, uh, and somehow I was given this opportunity where I had a place where I could feel safe every day because we were there pretty much every day doing something yep. for other people. And that's part of what Zoom also taught me is how much you can do for other people and how rewarding that feels mm-hmm. that you do it. just makes you feel better about wow. yourself. So I wanted to thank In you In terms of being respected at uh, home, we had a Chinese girl on the show, and uh, again in one of the reunions, she said how unbelievable it was to her as a 10, 11-year-old to be able to come to a place where people would ask her, opinion about something because at home being a Chinese girl in the Chinese household ignored just plain ignored mm. and she came to Zoom and people said what do you think you know oh, that's it's amazing. a mind and mind I think she's listening tonight is she oh I yeah hope so. I hope we see you tomorrow that's right yeah it was it was amazing amazing um, so the I am small changes have big effects what was the small change you think for you that sort of started this whole career and and momentum i think honestly it was and you know god bless them they're wagging their tails in heaven or whatever people do Uh, it was my parents um they i thought about what it was going to be like being a parent and in one sense was uh, determined not to be like them because I really didn't like the cane. I didn't like uh, getting it and I didn't like... Uh, oh, incidentally, when my father died, uh, my mother... Uh, we had a little family get-together and my mother said that my father, after he'd beaten me upstairs, he'd come down, he'd throw the cane across the kitchen and he'd burst out crying. He mm. hated doing that. Mm. And that's what he did because he wanted to be a good parent. Also, this was when I was 32, um, she brought out my old school reports and saw where I'd torn <laughs> off the little bit. And by then the... Uh, um, the ink had uh, sort yeah. of faded the paper. The eradicator had faded the paper. And we've got, we've got about less than a minute. What about the influence? Can you control no one, you influence everyone? What kind of, and you get to choose the kind of influence, what kind of influence did you want to be? And what kind of influence I am a been? pessimist when it comes to the future of the world. I really am. I think climate change, blah, 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 I'm not going to go into it. Uh, macro, 
I think you can't do, I can't do anything about. Micro, I think you can. I think mm. people that you know and people, you can be nice to people. You know, Mosca, our dog, and I go into hospitals and meet uh, uh, patients. And the patients love it and the dog loves it and I love it. I think you can do that. That's the kind of influence that I, I want to be. I agree. I could not agree. That's right. Small changes, folks. Yeah. We don't, if we do these small things together, we can change the world. I hope so. So let's do it. Christopher, thanks so much for coming in. This has been just wonderful for me. Really it's great. Really, really appreciate it. We've got an archive. We'll keep it forever. Thank you. Folks, next week we'll be here at the Dr. Joe Show. Mark, see you, folks. Thank you.